0: Welcome back in everyone to a fantastic new episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by two fantastic artists today. We have the playwright and director TJ Elliot and the actor Stephen Weatherby who are part of Knowledge Working Theater presentation of The Jester's Wife, playing September 21st through October 8th at the 36th Street Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting eventbrite.com. And this, my friends, is a fantastic show. We continue to get amazing show after amazing show as we head into the fall. We told you the fall is jam-packed with incredible works, and this is just another one of them. So why don't we go ahead and bring on our guests who... They know everything about this show. T.J. Elliott and (laughs) Stephen Weatherby, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper.
1: Oh, thank you, Andrew, so much for for having us. We're excited to be here.
2: Hey, Andrew, thanks so much. Happy to be here. I am so excited to have both
0: of you here and to be talking about this great show. I mean, the playwright and the director, and of course, the actor who plays the leading role, the jester. Of the show, The Jester's Wife, and it's a great, great show. I want to start with you, TJ, and just maybe give us a little bit of information about what the show is about and the background of the show itself.
1: So the show takes you back to 7th century, the, the Dark Ages, which we try to handle with a light touch. And it's just after a fairly famous Irish saint, Dymphna, has been martyred. And the two people who were with her have escaped into a cave and they're trying to make sure they don't get martyred as well. And so we then follow their adventures at survival and encountering a stranger who is beset by demons and then deciding that they're going to tell the story of Dymphna. And with
0: all of that, it's a comedy. I love I love that. And that's the thing is I was like reading it and I was like, I, I kind of vaguely know the story of Dymphna. And then I was like, oh, this is so dark. And then I was like, next paragraph. And I was like, oh, great. Okay, well, but it's a comedy though. We've got the wife and the husband and I yes. can already see where this is going. So that's wonderful. So where did you come up with the idea to write this show, The Jester's Wife? So the the antecedents, the,
1: the roots for me of this go back to the fact that I'm, I'm both an Irish and an American citizen. And my mother immigrated here in 1939 from Ireland. And so our big family was was raised with the, the whole background uh, uh, or atmosphere of saints and scholars and myths and miracles and fairies and leprechauns. It was all mixed together. So I've always been interested in that. In in, in our living room, there were two big books that outshone all the others. One was the Funk and Wagnalls Dictionary, which you were supposed to go in and find new words. And the other was Lives of the Saints. So I knew Dymphna from that. But then just about... A dozen years ago, I come – I'm the fifth of five boys. My brothers and I went to Ireland to do some genealogy, and we were driving to this place that ha- held all these government offices, and I saw St. Dymphna Asylum for the Insane. And that got me thinking again. It's like, oh, yeah, like she's like a patron saint. Why is she the patron saint of that? So I, I became more interested in her, and then a couple years further on there, it was sort of in the back of my mind percolating that that's an interesting story – I came across this panel. It's actually at an altar in Belgium where she was martyred, even though she was Irish. And the panel, saying Dymphna looks very saintly and she's moving into a boat to escape her father. And her confessor looks very pious and he's moving into the boat. And the jester is standing there like, okay, I guess so. But the jester's wife is looking like, I don't think that's a good idea. And And I was like, wow, nobody ever has talked much about the jester's wife. I mean, if there's a martyrdom, if the story's going to get told, there have to be survivors who are sympathetic to the martyr. So what was the take of the jester and the jester's wife at all of this? And from there, I just had a lot
0: of fun spinning that out. I love that. Now, Stephen,
2: you play the jester, of course. How did you come upon this show? So, you know, no, no big mystery there. or anything. I, yeah, I saw that the, the add on backstage, but, you know, two things specifically caught my eye about the show just in reading the the synopsis and, you know, the character breakdown. So I was like, you know, this is I've never seen a telling or, you know, a, a play based around I- I- Irish and Irish tale of folklore, you know, and there's, you know, religion weaved into it. High comedy, you know, you could tell there's like a vaudeville aspect to it. Reading some of the sides, and also you know having a a a jester character, you know, in the medieval dark ages, for lack of a better term or phrase, you know, playing second to his wife. It's called the jester's wife. So yeah, we just get a lot of perspective, and I I think that's something that didn't. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say didn't happen too often in those times and so this plays a really fun exploration of that gender roles and you know it's all wrapped up in comedy like I mentioned the audition process it was it was really fun too so you know I I remember going in pretty much the whole production team's there a couple actors there of course who were also auditioning and I kind of just got to do my thing you know with the other auditioning actors and it was it was man it was whimsical it was playful. Then I was really fun, and you know, then everybody in the room kind of just like one by one and ping ponging or, or pinballing. You know, just they're talking about their aspirations about the show, and then we're talking about general, you know, theater philosophies and inspirations from past works that have influenced influenced our artistic choices thus far, and how those will probably influence the Jester's Wife. And everybody was just taking turns and you know geeking out about what we were you know not only going to make we're making the evening of the those auditions but you know obviously what we wanted to cook up with each other down the road and you know everyone in the audition that that slot we we all got cast from that slot and so that was that was a a great surprise to see and yeah you know it's like we just it felt like we just clicked before even really getting like officially started and so it's fun to you know just keep clicking with each other as you know we We work on this new piece. I love that. How fun! Definitely fun. Now,
0: what has it been like developing the Jester's Wife? I'm gonna stick with you on this, Stephen.
2: Yeah. uh, So we have yet to get into like the let's say like the meat and like the longer hours of I don't know like quote unquote proper rehearsals. Though we we start soon, and but we didn't we did indeed we rehearsed prepared delivered a public reading of the show back in april that honestly it it netted us a lot of valuable information about adjustments we can make about you know the 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 play the production to best serve audiences this september october or late summer however you want so most recently um we all took some time though as a cast and production team to you know engage what what TJ, our our director, called etude work, which I, I might leave it to TJ to offer his own definition of what etude work is, but you know, I, I enjoyed that you know, quote unquote, pre rehearsal period as table work, like physical table work of our script that we you know specifically physicalized on our feet, along with more than just our three person cast, everyone on the production team got in on the action for those uh, couple etude days. How would you describe a? How did you describe the the etude, TJ?
1: Well, I, you know, it's not my idea. It's all, all the way back to Stanislavski, but but the person I I'm particularly influenced by Declan Donnellan. Just a great theater director. And Donnellan and says just this common sense thing. is like, you're going to get these people together. They don't know each other. They're going to be all tight. You know, find some ways to let them explore and, and be free about it. So I must say, Steve had a lot of confidence in me because the first thing we did, we were in Central Park and I said, <laughs> we're going to play red light, green light. Uh, with all of the cast here, and uh, everybody was into it from that from that moment on. And we played a lot of different things over over two nights. We got to use the Undercroft of Church of the Heavenly Rest, which has quite a medieval feel to it. I must, right. say. I'm sure there is somebody buried down there, and uh, and, and so it was. Uh, it, it's a it's a lot of fun. But uh, you know, etudes are don't get into the scenes themselves. Get into you know what's the given circumstances. Right? You know, it, it, and especially it's so much fun. Because we don't feel the need to do this as some sort of historical lecture, but we can play around with what the heck was going on for someone in the seventh century. You know, when just the the whole idea of uh, you've survived a beheading, the whole idea of, you know, what are you going to go do, do next there? And what were you doing before? Those
0: were really interesting to explore. I love that. What a fun process to start putting the show together, though. That's amazing. Well, as the show is heading into physical rehearsals, if you will, on its feet rehearsals and preparing for the opening, I want to ask you two, what is the message of thought you're hoping the audience will take away from The Jester's Wife? And TJ, as the director and playwright, I want to start with you on that. Well, I I, I think that's a really important
1: question when you're even in the writing of it there, you sort of stop yourself at different times and say like, well, how, and we, and what, what, what is the audience going to feel about this? I think the most important thing for me is this idea of Whose stories get told, and I I feel that that's something that's coming up in a lot of work that's being presented, and I think profitably, right? You know, so if it's something like Fat Ham, there was like, well, you know, what if we look at this in a in in a in a different way? And there are a lot of different examples of of, of this. So I I I would love the audience to leave with even more of a curiosity about what are some alternate versions of the stories. That they take as sort of the bedrock of their existence. So we, you know, we take, Oh, well, that's, a, that person's a saint and she was a martyr, but, was there another way to look at that, and and was that a male voice that decided to emphasize certain aspects of that, such as you know virginity and kind of a, a hatred of the body, and what happened, especially in Ireland, to these really powerful female voices that that existed that celebrated our, our connection with our bodies and our connection with with nature and our connection through that with with spirituality. Having said that, this play is is intended to be intelligent slapstick. Our our rehearsal assistant, Lee Selting, who's the former head of the theater department at the University of Wyoming, said to me, said, you know, this is kind of Waiting for Godot meets Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I thought, oh, that I I love that description of it there. So when you say, what are people going to take away from it? I think that I also hope that they take away from it that you can have a really good time exploring these things. It doesn't have to be serious uh, completely there that you uh, you could have a lot of fun looking at these things.
2: You know, I just want to say uh, you know agreed TJ especially with the 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 first part of your answer. you know st- storytelling matters for more reasons other than entertainment. you know narrative counts in del- mm-hmm. in matters of delivering truth, discerning what could be interpreted as propaganda or swaying public opinion for personal agenda, you know, honoring those who no longer have the ability to tell their stories and and so on. And not that every concept I just mentioned are all connected with one another per se, but there's a lot of power in who holds the ability to shape history or perceived history, depending on, I don't know, who has the proverbial mic. I should, I should (laughs) digress though. I think everything I just mentioned might could have a, a darker connotation. Sure. I think that's fine. You know, especially given, Political climate, You know, I'm, I'm thinking of like, forgive me, but, you know, Donald Trump, it's misinformation, what have you. But, you know, this, this really is a much more lighthearted and fast paced comedy that sure does have a connection to what I mentioned. You, you know, but yeah, storytelling narrative, it matters. I love that, though. That's fantastic.
0: So my final question for this first part of our interview is, who do you hope have access to your show? And Stephen, I'm going to start with you first on this.
2: Yeah, yeah, thank you. I I think this would be a great show to take a date to. So, you know, lovers out there, you know, come one, come Mm -hmm. all. I think those who also, if you're going through a rut, could come through, leave any stressful thoughts behind them for a couple hours. History buffs will get a kick out of this. Religious folks who, I don't know. I'll go out on a limb who maybe don't take their religion, like overly seriously. And I, and I mean that with all due respect, we'll have a lot of fun with a playful writing along those religious lines. And of course I, I hope anyone who'd like to see a brand new off Broadway show can spend, you know, those, you know they can just spend 20 bucks and have a, have a good evening with us. It's pretty accessible.
0: Yeah. TJ, what about you?
1: Well, I, I think it's really important for people who have felt that their stories haven't been told to be able to come in and go like, oh, this is good. This is, this is good that this is about, you know, whether it's it, it's, it's women or, or people have been demonized in, 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 in some way, marginalized in some way there. There's like, oh, good. There's, there's a comedy about this. that's it's smart. It's witty. It's, it's engaging there. But it's also making this point that people deserve the opportunity to tell their story and and we we shouldn't be shutting out others who want to tell their story in in, in that way
0: I want to switch things up now for our second part of our interview and as our regular listeners know this is the part where we let our listeners get to know our guests a little bit better and I want to kick things off with our regular first question which is what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows have inspired you or are just some of your favorites
2: and Stephen you know why don't we start with you first on this yeah, for sure. You know, I, I in terms of inspiration, I, I oftentimes I'm thinking like, what am I currently working on? Of course, oh, man, there's there's so many inspirations. You know, even apart from theater that connect to theater, obviously. But you know, sticking sticking to the Justice Wife, you know, I've performed some Moliere's writing. I've had the opportunity to to do in the past uh, a few times. I, I've helped devise a couple shows that I performed in, and you know, specifically, I'm just thinking, you know. Vaudeville, you know, high comedy, you know, body movement and shape and, you know, just a whimsical nature about it all along with, you know, what I mentioned, devising a show. This is a, this is a new piece and this production team and cast are so trusting of one another to, you know, offer their voices up. And that's often in the spirit of devising. I'm pulling what I can from those past experience of experiences of mine that have inspired me to, yeah, bring, bring, that experience to this role, this play, you know, it offers additional tools about, you know, what we can pull together when crafting a performance alongside everyone else's. I guess, apart from the show, a couple of writers of mine, oh, sorry, a couple of writers I've liked for for a long time are Teresa Rebeck, Howard Corder. I'm always on the lookout for, you know, production companies putting up their work. Other than that, what, from what I shared though, you know, I I really dig new playwrights, new plays. There's so many advantages to, to putting you know you're, you're everything into those kinds of creative processes and i often feel like i learn i learn and grow the most from from new writings new people you know it fills my heart fills my soul yeah i, I gotta tell you so yeah th- thanks for asking that question about inspiration
0: love that what a wonderful list there tj
1: what about you well, you know, some of the people, I'm so glad you mentioned Teresa Rebeck, who I, I, I just think is a, a a model for that there. But, I, you know, I go back to when I first started working as an actor, I was in my late teens, I was in college, and one of my most important experiences, and I'd say it's, it's lasted, you know, it's 50 years ago for me, is that I got to play Pozzo in, and to co-produce a touring production of Waiting for Godot. I mean, I was 20 years old. You shouldn't be playing you at 20 years old, but nonetheless, Beckett, ends up being introduced to me in that way, and that combination of, of you know existential terror and as Steve just said vaudeville humor like I was like wow this is really good and, you know you get to play different pieces Ionesco similarly for me and then as I moved on uh, as as an actor I had a really nice experience I was I was in a couple of mammoth things. And I know David Mamet, uh, you know, uh, some people have difficulty with him now, uh, and I, you know, I, I don't blame them necessarily, but he was very encouraging to me as, as a young actor, writing to him and saying, hey, we're in regional theater and we're doing this stuff here. And he, he wrote back really <laughs> nice stuff, didn't have to do that. And so being in Mamet, I learned a lot, I think, about dialogue and about staging and, and theater if I had to say the two people I, or my go-to people there, that would be Alan Ackburn and Tom Stoppard. And, and Ackburn, because he's very open uh, about – Playwriting and about how to write, write plays there, and so it, it was funny during the pandemic we we couldn't get enough of like finding Alan Ackburn plays to, to to watch there and just sort of take them apart is like it's brilliant how he moves the action around in in that way. Stoppard uh, similarly he's somebody who writes a lot and you know when I I say that I kind of got lost down a rabbit hole with all of the things that are possible to investigate on seventh century jesters and their wives and religion and pirates there, you know, that's, that's sort of stoppered influenced uh, as, as well. It it just, it's a process that goes on. I, you know, probably started when I was in the high school library reading those great books. I don't even know if they exist anymore. You used to be able to pull out a huge volume that said best plays of the 1940s, best plays of the 1950s. And you sort of read through them all and get it, get a sense of where the differences are and, you know, the Millers and the, the Williams and things like that. But, the what I go back to in terms of a theater moment that that really sticks out for for me many there's just too many to to list but one that my roommate who was also in that production waiting for Godot had a season pass to a public theater and this is like 1972 73 and in the same season we saw that championship season with Paul Servino was in it Charles Durning was was in it there written by Jason Miller and Girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough by Dr. Zaki Shange, and just you know to just to have been in New York and it's just like yeah, I, you know <laughs> I I want to be part of that moment. Whether you're whichever whichever side of the stage you're going to be on, you want to be part of that moment again and again and again.
0: Oh wow, love that. Well that kind of leads me to my next question, which is have either of you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners?
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let me start with there's this young or, or new production company, and they're they're headed and the production team, what do you call it, like co-founders are are four young people in the city. They're called personal pizza party. And uh, they're just really cool. I've seen some of their their theater lately. I've been to some of their events. Yeah, it's just just really fresh stuff, really sharp writing, and they're they're just smart as a whip. I'm really inspired by by what they do. You can Google them, check them out. Uh, personal Pizza Party. They're constantly putting on you know events in the city. They have a website. They have an Instagram. So you know, however you want to find them. Personal Pizza Party. Uh, but yeah, my favorite show that I've seen in the city thus far was. Dutch Kill's Theatres, The Antelope Party. I don't know if it's still playing right now, but it's like, oh man, one of the best shows I've ever seen. You Google it, see it next time they, they put it on. Uh, one of the best shows I've ever seen. <clears throat> I'd love to audition for it. Oh geez, you know, or, or I'd love to teach it in the future, you know, expose people to the writing. It's uh, multi-leveled and uh, The Antelope Party has this like mm, overall theme of like the subculture of like, my little pony community or like bronies uh, or or what have you and the way they weave that subculture and or like narrative of like friendship and like understanding and like a small you know piece of 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 community the way they how do i put it you know i attach that to like real world and like timely implications that has to do with like radicalization or politics is was just just genius so yeah, love being inspired by stuff that we see. And that's some of the, the good theater I've been seeing lately. Personal Pizza Party served their production company, but also the Antelope Party it was really fun.
0: Very cool. Oh, I love that. Anything from you, TJ? Yeah, I, you know, I. Uh, m- Marjorie
1: Phillips Elliott, who's not only my wife, but also our executive producer, we were in London in May. And so I'm just going to talk about two that I think will end up coming here. They're on the horizon. And so sort of don't miss, get in early when there are discounts. One was the revival of Dancing at Lunas. And I had seen the original Brian Friel play, who also is a, a model for, for me as, as a playwright, 30 years ago and this production opens up the play uh, it's magnetic and magical uh, just uh, astonishing and i and one of the actresses the actress who played the nun in dairy girls has a grand part in in it as well and so it was really a lot of fun to see that and then the next night we saw the motive in the queue, which is the play about John Gilgood directing Richard Burton on Broadway in Hamlet in in the sixties. And there's an actress who plays Elizabeth Taylor, there. And the actors are playing all of these different figures, whom whom you you know, Hume Cronin and so on and so forth there. And Johnny Miller was in that, and uh, Johnny Miller, Johnny Flynn, but he was absolutely terrific. Everybody was 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 so good in that. He closer to home. And I know this is, little, you know, perhaps a little more uh, high end there. I've been to See Here Lies Love twice. I think it is a model for dynamic storytelling. They manage to convey a tragedy and you're dancing and I don't think I've ever had that theatrical experience before. So I, I've, I've actually got, went to see it twice. It was that that good. The second time, in part, because Leah Salonga was then in the cast. She hadn't been when we saw it in previews. And they changed it. That was another thing for me as a playwright. I was like, oh, uh, Marjorie and I were talking like, Oh look, they cut that. Oh, they moved that that around there. So that was that was really a lesson there to sort of figure out mm, why did they do that? Yeah, that does work better. So it, it, th- those are those are some recent things that I've seen, and I'm I'm hoping that when we're into rehearsals, I'll get to see a bunch of Wednesday matinees since we
0: rehearse at night. Very cool. Well, let me ask the two of you: What is your favorite part about working in the theater? And TJ, I'm actually going to start with you first on this. You know, I was really influenced by early on—not
1: not influenced in, in the way of of wanting to copy, but when uh, I was in No Exit very early on there, and that that whole line of you know hell is other people there, and I even though I enjoyed the play and enjoyed the experience of being in it there, I felt like the opposite. I, you know, with theater, heaven is other people. So you know. I get to work with people and meet people and learn from people that I wouldn't have there. You know, Scarlett Youssef, who's our fight coach, and he was at those at those etudes there and working with people and seeing him work, you know, start the physical work with, with people there. It's like, how would that happen anywhere else for someone of my vintage to be with someone who's, you know, probably 40 years or more, younger than me there. And the, the same is true with our, our other actors, uh, Xander Jackson and Emma Taylor Miller. Uh, people like Taylor Lilly, who's our lighting designer, Margaret Montagna, who does sound sound design for it. And as I already mentioned, Elena Venoni and, and Gloria Novi. I, just, you you get to learn about these people's lives. You get to hang out with them, with with them there. You get to really be inspired by the things that they're doing because then they end up inviting you to their show that they're that they're they're doing and and you find out about their projects and so it's just it's a great world to be in with other people it's about the other people when we our whole goal in founding the company several years ago was we wanted to make theater live we wanted to make theater live and theater doesn't live unless it's an ensemble production and so that's that's what's, what it is for me.
0: I love that. What about you, Steven?
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback off of TJ and, but I I, I will, put maybe I'll just be, how do I put this? You know, just honestly, a moment like this, Andrew, TJ, but there's, I can think back to so many lovely, lovely conversations and like keyword conversations with people about theater or what they, what do you want to call that? Like talk and shop or whatever, but, or, you know, reacting to a show or so often from in uh, and he usually winds up being artist to artist, you know, n- not only are those moments so touching and, and interpersonal and, and inspiring, but you know, it's like, it's those like connective moments of conversation that sometimes, and, and it doesn't have to be, but like sometimes it leads to like literally, you know, the fruits of those talks of those conversations when they find their way to the stage, if you're working on something together or, or it's somebody's personal thing you know, or, or in whatever capacity, whether it's performance, design, you know, m- marketing. I, I just think it's so cool when when we get to share in this medium that we love and have those conversations take and see them take direct life or direct shape. And you're like, this because, you know, this conversation, you know, and I don't know, I just, I really geek out over that. But I think more than geeky, I, I think it's just kind of wholesome. And, and I, I think it's healthy. Not only just as people, just in general, but but for this for this art form. Yes.
0: Well, we now have arrived at my favorite question, ask guests, and that is, what is your favorite theater memory?
2: I have something that comes to mind, and I'll, you know, I'll do my best to explain. You know, just just making people. I I'm not going to do a specific memory. Just making people react. So let me explain, you know, oohs and ahs and giggles and gasps. Even quiet moments where you feel, or, or, or at least I hope, you know, audiences are en- uh, engaged and they probably are. And they're, they're hanging on even, you know, the quieter moments on a stage waiting for the, for the words, the reactions. And typically, like, when folks react to live theater, I, I think it means that they're going through some kind of transformation in that moment you know, in their seat, you know, in the dark or what have you, you know, with people side by, by, by side them as, as you know, we're all partaking in a story being told on stage. And I, I think that that often is connected to shared circumstances, ideas, shared ideas, philosophy between audience um, and the action happening on stage. And it's like, as a performer, sometimes, and as an audience member, I get to form bonds with brand new people before I even get to like, meet them and thank them for coming to the show afterwards and it's crazy sometimes like what people will tell you or like share with you afterwards or or admit to you or from personal experience and it's, it's a reminder to me how important how important telling stories are new and old and how work in the theater the you know the opportunity to perform holds a, a certain bearing and responsibility that I try to hold dear and I, I try to remind myself every now and then without sounding too, you know, self-important. But yeah. You know, it, it, it is, a res- it's a responsibility and, you know, obviously that, that goes, that goes quite a few ways or, or two ways from person to person. So yeah, just going back to it all reacting, uh, making audiences uh, react or, or reacting because I I've got a strong feeling. It means so much more than just a reaction there's transformation happening, and I think that's really beautiful.
0: I love that. That is a beautiful answer. Thank you. Thanks for asking. It's interesting
1: because we we did not rehearse our answers here, and he's saying I was like, wow, that that really is for me as well. You know, as as an actor, you you get some moments like that. You know, years ago, playing Bernie in *Sucker Perversity in Chicago, and this is this moment where people are connecting with you. But for me the most powerful memory came because I was away from the theater working, uh, raising a family and Joe Queen and I co-wrote four plays And the first of those Alms, in 2019. And so the first night you go in and there's an audience there and they're reacting to the play in that way. And, and you realize there is this connection. There is this bond that now has formed between what's going on on the stage and this this group in the audience but it's also happening on an individual level so afterwards you're standing in the lobby and someone walks up to you whom you don't
0: know at all
1: and they say that thing that happened that he talked about with his mother and that's like my story and then the next night just goes on again and two people come up to you and say it was really something like i feel like somehow you knew the story of what was going on in my household you just sort of take a deep breath and say, no, I didn't. And, you know, you can't, you can't hope for that. And I think, you know, we'll hope the same thing with this play, that people will feel like, oh yeah, that, that's, that idea of, of someone struggling to tell their story, of someone struggling with whether they did the right thing or not. That's a feeling that I've had. I think that's, that's what makes for the most powerful theater memory and the most powerful theater experience.
0: That's also amazing. Both of you two incredible answers thank you so much for sharing those that's wonderful
2: thanks for the question yeah.
0: do either of you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you
1: we're going to try to revive that play Alms, in, in January. Uh, Gifford Elliott, who's our artistic director, has shot some scenes from it that we're going to use to try to attract backers. So that's a, a new way of reeling in some investors there. And we're very pleased with what's going on. Michael Thomas Kane was our cinematographer on on that. So we're very interested in, in that. But I got to tell you right now, I'm trying to get through to, to October 8th. <laughs> I'm admitting this yeah. in public, Steve.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I I just finished up a, a couple smaller projects, and I'm, I'm heading into this one. You know, after the Jester's wife, I don't know. It's embarrassing to admit or anything, but I, I don't have any projects lined up at the moment. So you know, uh, you know, hey, you know, listener, if you got a project coming up, you know. <laughs> in like the cut of my jib or whatever, you know, re- reach out to me or, or social media That's or whatever. Right. Come, come see the show. And, you know, hopefully my answers say from Andrew's wonderful questions, give you, you know, an idea of uh, the work I like to, I like to yeah, do. Yeah, come
1: the... come see this guy. He's incredibly funny and, and smart and you're going to really like it. I will say this, Joe and I are very lucky in that our four plays are getting published by Off the Wall Plays. Three of them are out now, Alms, Grudges and Genealogy and the fourth... One, the Oracle, which was the one we did at Theater for the New City last last May, will will come out there. So that's something we're also working on is 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 getting those better known and uh, out to. It's exciting to you know to, and I didn't realize this. Maybe you would know this, Andrew, but like. A lot of people now, when they get plays, it's no longer getting the printed play; it's a digital copy uh, of it there, and and they license completely through through that way. So it's been an introduction to to a new a new world. I still love going into the drama bookshop and just sitting there and reading plays, but uh, apparently there's a whole digital reality to it that's uh, blossoming.
0: Well. That leads to my final question, which is if our listeners would like more information about The Jester's Wife or about maybe either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do that?
1: Well, uh, Eventbrite, the tickets are up there. And I want to say for your listeners, use a promo code jester hyphen besties and you'll get five dollars off the twenty dollar ticket so you'll get it for for twenty five percent less there so that's a capital j on jester hyphen capital b on besties uh, and uh, has all the information there. If you want to get in touch with us, www.knowledgeworkings.com, and that's all lowercase, www.knowledgeworkings.com, and you can find out lots of information about the other things that we've done and contact us directly from there. We're, we're very open to it, and we're always looking for collaborators uh you know one of the things that our artistic director gifford elliott is is looking at here you mentioned projects coming up there he's actually looking for smaller projects in 2024 to launch so there's there's an open invitation for folks who who want to collaborate who think that they have a similar vision to what we have on the website
0: that's amazing
2: yeah you know what Uh, tj i don't know if this is embarrassing for you hey we T.J. and I both have personal Instagrams, too. So apart from the production, you know, info, if you if you like, that T.J. was a cool guy, you know, look him up on Instagram. I, I will state your Instagram, T.J., uh, you know, but well, it's bo- born
1: in the Bronx, 51, uh, born, born in the Bronx, 51. And also oh. Knowledge Workings Theater has Instagram and Facebook as well.
2: That's right. And I'm Steve Soar on Instagram with a V, Steve. Sore like a dinosaur. Don't tell me why, but that's that's what it was, what it is. And and both of our you know IGs you know have have info you know the, the links about the show and the production company that, that that TJ mentioned. Those are and ticket links. Those are available on our Instagrams. That's Steve right. Steve Sore and Born in the Bronx fifty one.
0: Well, TJ Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today about this incredible show and just sharing your incredible insights. Really, this was an just an amazing experience. I really appreciate your time. So thank you so much. Andrew, let
1: me say, not only do I appreciate your having us on, but I appreciate this show because we need to build demand for theater. And, and the way you bring on folks like ourselves and give us a chance to talk about it and highlight that, that is as critical an element right now for theater as anything. So thank you and thank Hope Bird for everything you do. Thank you.
2: Yeah, likewise. Thank you, Andrew, so much. Stage Whisper Pod, you you have a a pretty mighty following so far. And yeah, this is, you know, definitely, you know, like tuned in, like on the pulse, on the ground podcast Been really cool. I told you before we started the interview, I've been listening to you pretty much, pretty much since I I moved to the city. And yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for this interview. Thank you for what you do.
0: Thank you both for those kind words that that's amazing. Thank you so much. My guests today have been the incredible playwright and director, TJ Elliott, and the actor who is playing the Jester, Stephen Weatherby, who are part of Knowledge Working's theater presentation of The Jester's Wife. It's playing September 21st through October 8th at the 36th Street Theater, and you can get your tickets and more information by visiting eventbrite.com. And if you'd like to save some money on those tickets, you can use the promo code Besties, And that's Jesters-Besties with a capital J and a capital B. And you'll save $5 on $20 tickets. I mean, that's a great deal right there. We also have some contact information for our guests and the theater company, which we'll be posting on our episode description as well as on our social media posts. So make sure you check out all of that. But first of all, head over to eventbrite.com right now. Get your tickets for The Jester's Wife playing September 21st through October 8th. We're going to be letting you know very soon when we're attending so we can all make it a stage whisper night out at the theater because this is a hilarious show. We can't wait to see it. The Jester's Wife, September 21st through October 8th at the 36th Street Theater.